We continue our series appropriately as we are working through the Word of God uh, this season in our church through a series entitled God's Story, Our Story, appropriate on this Reformation Sunday, a return to the source of truth, the Word of God, that we find ourselves as a church returning to the source of truth. Last week, we looked at the six-day creation study, uh, the story of the six-day creation account as it's written in Genesis chapter 1. We saw last week that there is a design that points to a designer and an utter beauty that leads us to worship the beauty of the creator of creation. But there's something else that happened on day six, and that is where we pick up this morning. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 31. The crown of creation, the creation of humanity. Genesis chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. And there was the evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. The longer I study the Word of God, the more I am convinced, in particular, how fundamental these early chapters in Genesis, these chapters that we will be studying for the next few weeks, how fundamental these chapters in Genesis are to answer the big questions of life. How fundamental and foundational Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 are to answer the questions that have been allowed us to wrestle with the questions of life from the beginning of history. Who is God? Is God real? Where did the world come from? What does it mean to be a human being? What about family and marriage and work and rest and gender and relationships? The big questions of life, all answered here in these scriptures. Do you understand the scriptures that you just read have been shaping the minds of human beings from the beginning of history They've been shaping the way we think and the way we live and the way we act, the way we develop governments and systems of thought, 
the way we conduct life, the way we love each other and treat each other, the way we view God and creation and this world and each other all find its root and foundation here in Genesis chapter 1. As I said in our welcome this morning, that the Reformation was not simply a new way of reading the Bible. The Reformation was a return to the Bible. It was a return to the source. The Reformation was nothing less than to the return to the source of truth as it's found in the Word of God. And here in Genesis 1, verse 26 through 31, we receive the answers to life's two most fundamental questions. Who am I? And what have I been created for? Who am I? And what have I been created for? All throughout history, humanity has gone back to this passage and gone back to the Word. Whether it was in the wilderness, in the original audience of Genesis, whether it was 500 years ago at the time of the Reformation, or even maybe here this morning, to answer the most fundamental questions of life. Who am I? And what have I been created for? Those are the two questions I want to answer briefly this morning. Question number one, who am I? This question, who am I, answers the question regarding and concerning identity. And in verses 26 and 27, Moses reveals to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this fundamental foundational question of identity, who I am. When he writes, then God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. What we find here in verse 26 when thinking about how God has created us, when thinking about our identity, we are told in verse 26 that our identity is found in the reality and in the foundational truth that you and I were created in the very image and likeness of God and the image of the Creator. And in a world and culture that is striving and struggling to find their identity, struggling to determine who am I, right here in the pages of Scripture, we are told that God created you and God created me in His image. You see, here in Genesis chapter 1 is where all humanity finds their inherent dignity and worth. Think about the pattern of creation. When God said He's going to create the birds... The calling was for the birds to reproduce according to their kind. When God made the fish, he said the fish will reproduce according to their kind. But when it came to humanity, what did God say? Humanity will come about and humanity will be created according to their own kind? No according to our own kind. Do you understand the gravity of the creation of humanity not being created according to their own kind, but it being created according to the likeness and the image of the very creator of the universe? You see, when we answer the fundamental question, who am I? And then we read that humanity is created in the image and likeness of God. We see that humanity, unlike any other creature, is the crown jewel. You see, the reason humanity is created on day six at the end is because God was saving the best for last. 
His creation of male and female in his likeness and in his image is the crown jewel of all creation. But what are the implications? What are the implications for you and me this morning that our identity is found in the image and likeness of Christ? Well, it drastically affects the way we regard ourselves. As I said, in a culture, in a world that is struggling with image, in a world that is struggling to find their identity, and looking, reading every book, and watching every YouTube video, and watching every television show, and going to self-help guru after self-help guru, trying to ground their self-image and worth and dignity... Moses tells us, no, your inherent worth, your inherent dignity, your value is not found in what someone else says about you, but it is grounded in the truth that you and I are created in the image of God. Now remember the context. Moses is writing to men and women that have spent 400 years, generation after generation, in Egypt, And in Egypt, they were ruled by a pharaoh. And the pharaoh was taught to communicate to his people that he was a direct representative of God. That the pharaoh was born and created in the image and likeness of God. You see, all throughout this culture, all throughout the world, kings and emperors and pharaohs were worshipped as gods. And only kings and emperors and pharaohs were created in the image of God. So when the Israelites got this word, you mean male and female without exception? Boys and girls, regardless of where we've been or what we've done, regardless of who I am, I am created in the image and likeness of God. You have to understand this would have been revolutionary to them. You mean it's not just the pharaoh alone that is created in God's image? But me, little old me, created in the image of God. You understand the implications of the way that we find the source that we have of truth for identifying who we are and grounding our self-image, not in what the world says about us, but what God says about us in the truth and the reality that we are created in the image of God. That's the first implication, the way we view ourselves. The second implication is this, the way we regard each other. You see, if this is true, that all humanity without exception is created in the image and likeness of God, there is no such thing as a worthless person. There is not one single person that is more superior to another person in this life or in this world. It means right now, I want you to think about someone in your life that you can't stand. I want you to think about that person that just drives you nuts. And then I want you to think about it in this context, that that person, that person is created in the image and likeness of God. You see, in the Greco-Roman world, abortion and infanticide, the disregard for widows and the poor was rampant. The homeless were left. Children were being slaughtered 2,000 years ago. What changed? What changed? It was the doctrine of the image of God, where the church of Jesus Christ became so pervasive throughout the world and throughout the culture 
that they said, this cannot happen. This cannot happen on our watch. Children cannot be slaughtered. Widows cannot be disregarded. The homeless cannot be pushed aside because all human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. And let me just say as a side note, this is why it floors me and I cannot comprehend in our modern history, I can think of three moments in the modern history of the world that I cannot comprehend in light of this passage. I cannot comprehend how churches stayed silent as African and American brothers and sisters were disregarded and the church stayed silent. I cannot comprehend how churches in Germany and Western Europe stayed silent during the Holocaust. And I cannot comprehend how Christians today can stay silent after the slaughter of 60 million babies due to abortion. I cannot comprehend if this is true, if this is true, that all human beings are created in the image and likeness of God. I cannot imagine staying silent. This passage speaks to the inherent dignity, worth, and sanctity of all human beings. Who am I? Made in the image of God. But the second question that it answers is this, what have I been created for? And this question speaks to purpose. And not only does Moses write who we are, created in the image of likeness of God, but it reveals to us the purpose that God has for us. In verse 28, it says that God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living creature. This is the calling and the purpose of humanity. You see, what we read here in verses 28, 29, and 30 sometimes also referred to as the cultural mandate or the creation mandate, is the original mission, the original assignment given to the image bearers of God. You see, we have here in verse 28, 29, and 30, we have the assignment and the mandate. You see, the first week was a work week. And the only one working wasn't God, but the God intended for us to work as well. And he gives us this assignment, and he gives us two assignments in particular here. The first is this in this mandate that he gives us in creation. He says, be fruitful and multiply. What's, what is God intending for his humanity to do? He's intending for his humanity to go out and fill the world with more image bearers. Why? Because image bearers declare the glory of God. Image bearers reveal the glory of God because they're created in the image and likeness of God. So God's intention was, I want the whole world full of men and women that are bearing the image of the creator. So go out, fill it, and multiply so that the whole earth is full of the glory of God. But then he says this, assignment number two, I want you to have dominion over it. What does it mean to have dominion? It means to rule over it. Just as I, God, have, have dominion over the universe, just as I rule, I want you to have dominion over it as well. And then subdue it. What does it, what does it mean to subdue? It means to bring it under submission. Remember the context of creation. God creates the heavens and the earth, but it's formless and void, right? It's in a state of chaos. And what does God do? In the midst of chaos and darkness, God comes down and he says, let there be light. You see, that wasn't the only job of the creator. The job of the creator was to create human beings in his image that would do the same thing that God did. 
that we would continue to go out to the ends of the earth, into the darkness, into the chaos, and do what? Subdue it. And just as God came down and brought light out of the darkness, God caused his image bearers to come out and bring light in the midst of the darkness as well. God subdued the earth. He subdued the formless void of the earth. And he brought about light and order and peace. And he caused his image bearers to do the same as well to rule over it and to subdue it and bring it under submission. This was the mandate and the mission of the people of God. You see, this is the answers to all of life. The biggest questions that plague you and me, why am I here and what have I been created for and who am I? Answers are right here in Genesis chapter 1. You see, these two truths who we've been created in whose image and what we've been created for, our mandate and our mission to go into all of the world, bringing it under submission, are the two truths that make someone fully alive. You see, at the end of the day, what Genesis chapter 1 is revealing to us is this is what it means to be fully human. This is humanity in Genesis chapter 1. In its full glory, this is what humanity was meant to do and meant to be. This is a picture of humanity flourishing. This is what it means to be fully alive. But it begs the question this morning, why don't we feel this way? Why are so many here this morning that don't feel fully alive? If this is what it means to be fully alive, God's created me in his image and he's created to send me out into his world as co-regents of the creator God to rule over it and subdue the heavens and the earth, then why don't I feel this way? Why Why do I struggle with identity and why do I struggle with purpose in my life? Well, just a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 3, We will see what happened to the perfect image bearers in a few weeks. But in Genesis chapter 3, the perfect image bearers, those that were entrusted to fill the earth with the glory of God, those that were entrusted to subdue the earth and bring it under submission, messed it all up. And Adam and Eve fell to the temptation of the serpent. And it was in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, listen to me, what happens? The image bearers of God abandoned the word of God and they submitted to the serpent, to the beast. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the reversal. Instead of living under the word of God in submission and obedience and ruling over the beast, in Genesis chapter 3, they disregard the word of God and they fall under the submission of the serpent, the beast. And what was meant for humanity in Genesis chapter 1 is totally reversed and messed up. And not only is humanity marred, the image of God is broken, but the creation that they've been entrusted with is broken as well. And that's why you and I struggle in this life and struggle with this world and finding our identity and finding our purpose because everything was messed up in the garden, ignoring the word of God and falling in under submission to the beast. So there was only one way. There was only one way for God to solve this problem, and it was through the person of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we are told by Paul that Jesus is the visible expression 
of the invisible God. In other translations, it reads that he is the image bearer of the invisible God. You see, what Paul is telling us in Colossians chapter 1 is paradigm shifting. That God had to send a perfect image bearer because the original image bearers in Genesis chapter 1 messed it all up. But thousands of years later, God would send his own and only son, Jesus the Christ, as the perfect image of God. And what would that image bearer do? He would live the life that was designed for us to live in complete obedience to God, and he would lay down his life on the cross by taking on our brokenness. And in return, we would receive his righteousness. And then in Romans chapter 8, we read this glorious truth. And we know that for those who love God and all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to who? The image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren's brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, that a perfect image bearer has come, and he has come, and he takes on our broken image, and in return, what happens in Romans chapter 8, we're told, we are conformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is the good news for you and me this morning, but here is the truth. You and I will never be fully human. And you and I will never be fully alive until you surrender and you submit your life to Jesus Christ, the only one who can make you fully human again, the only one who can make you fully alive. And he is the one, the perfect image bearer, who comes into the world. And in Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus tells his followers, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples. You see, Matthew chapter 8 is the renewal of the cultural mandate, the creation mandate that we blew in Genesis chapter 3. And Jesus says, now go and make image bearers of the perfect image bearer, Jesus Christ, and realize this, that all authority has been given to me. You see, Jesus perfectly fulfills what we could never fulfill on our own. He has authority now over the earth. He now subdues the earth. He now reigns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In Christ alone this morning, brothers and sisters, we find our hope, our identity, our mission and a glorious future. You see, this is what the Reformation was all about. You see, it was Luther when he opened up the Word of God that he saw all of the questions of life answered for him. And he discovered in the Word of God the one problem that plagued him his entire life. How could a sinful image, broken image bearer like me be made right with a holy God? And when he opened up the word, he saw for the first time that it was Jesus, only Jesus, that could fix the brokenness of his image. The finished work of Christ and Christ alone when he opened up the word of God alone. And it changed the world and it changed his life and it can change you this morning. In closing, I want us to think for a minute. If Martin Luther was here today, what would he say? 
I'm sure he would have a lot to say. He was bold and he was brash. But I think he would say two things. The first thing Martin Luther would say is, do you understand that men and women died for this? What are you waiting for? What are you doing if this is the truth of God and his gospel? What are you waiting for? Surrender your life this morning here to the perfect image bearer. Surrender. Surrender now. But I think he would also say this. Stop talking about the Reformation like it was a thing of the past. Stop talking about the Reformation like it was just something that happened 500 years ago. It needs to be a thing of the present. And he would say, God looks down upon you this morning, Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and says, yes, I've moved in the past, but I'm the God that moves in the present. present. My name is not I was, my name is the I am. And I am the God who moves and lives and acts. And if it is true that there are 6,400 people groups that have yet to be unreached, it means this, that the greatest reformations are still ahead. And I need someone this morning to say, by faith, amen. By faith, I believe that the greatest reformations are not behind us, but the greatest reformations are in front of us, led by men and women who cherish the gospel of grace more than life itself. R.C. Sproul died the year of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. R.C. Sproul was a man who was a champion in our modern day for this truth. And he said this right before he died. It's been 500 years since Martin Luther ignited the Protestant Reformation A half millennium removed, and the church finds itself at a similar critical juncture. The darkness of this age and of this culture calls for a new reformation. If such a spiritual awakening is to come, there must be a new generation of heralds, men and women that are bold and biblical, men and women, boys and girls who love the gospel of God's sovereign grace and live in light of the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, there has never been a need than a reformation again. And may God give this church modern-day Martin Luthers who will bring it about, someone who will stand up and answer the call by faith.